But if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we are there. Uh, we've been there for, for, for a little bit. We are finishing up Genesis chapter 1 uh, this week. And as you turn there, I just uh, a question uh, for you uh, this morning. It's not a hard question. Well, maybe. Uh, but it, for some of you, it might be. I don't know. Uh, the, the question is, who is a human here this morning? Are you a human here this morning? If you're a human here this morning, raise your hand. Aliens are kind of squirming in the back. Like, I don't know, I'm going to be found out. Marvin the Martian, you know, he's, he's getting ready. He's calling in his spaceship. He's like, oh, I better get out of here. Uh, security team's coming in like men in black style, um, just trying to uh, clear our memory. No, we're humans here this morning, right? There's, there's, a, there's a uniqueness and there's a specialness to that that we've talked about already. And what's unique is the passage that we're covering this morning addresses all people. There are certain uh, commands and commissions in Scripture that address Christians specifically. We can think of one, the Great Commission, that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. We're to baptize them and teach them and instruct them. This is the Great Commission. This This is our calling as Christians to go and instruct others. And it's one thing that we call that we carry out as those who've been called out, as those who are distinct, because we've been saved by the blood of Christ. And yet, there's other commands, there's other uh, uh, commissions in Scripture that are not related specifically to our distinction or to our difference as Christians, but to all of humanity. And that's what we see this morning. You see, there's the Great Commission, and also there's what's called the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. The Great Commission is given to Christians. The cultural mandate or the, the, the creation mandate is given to all of mankind. In other words, this is how we were designed to live. This is what we're here for. And that's what we get to talk about this morning as we look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 31. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Let's, Let's read Scripture together. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and every and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I have to slow down there. Hopefully you're here a few weeks ago when we unpacked that. But don't lose the beauty, the uniqueness of what it means to be made in the image of God. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made. 
and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So what does it mean to be human? What does it mean? How do we carry this out? What is this, this creation mandate? Well, there's two aspects to it, and we're going to look at them uh, in, in a few different ways. First, we see God giving them this, this injunction, this, this command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The blessing of children, of filling the earth. And also this idea of, of ruling and subduing over the earth. And so we're going to look at that one kind of in two parts. What I want us to pay attention to is how this is related to being made in the image of God. If you look at uh, verse 27 in relation to 28, if you have your Bibles, this, this can be helpful because uh, as we look at this relation, verse 27, so he created man in his image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then look at verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. See, 27, we have this idea of God creating man's image, and he creates them male and female. We've unpacked both of those ideas. But verse 28 starts with be fruitful and multiply, and then it talks about subduing the earth. You see what's happening there in the relationship between verses 27 and 28. Male and female directly relates to what comes after it. Be fruitful and multiply. Being made in the image of God, one aspect of what that means is subduing and having dominion over the earth. In biblical study, I guess this is called a, 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 a chiasm, right, of A, B, B prime, A prime, right, is the structure of these two verses and how they relate to one another. In his image, meaning having rulership, Male and female, meaning be fruitful and multiply. So let's unpack these, these ideas together. First, children are a blessing, not a curse. Children are a blessing, not a curse. Let's be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Uh, humans are, are unique in the creation account. The union of a man and woman in, in marriage carries more with it than having children, but not less. In chapter 2, we will see the, the role of companionship in marriage. But here we see the role of humanity is to have children. This is done in the context of marriage, as we'll see in chapter 2, and is fleshed out more in the law and in Jesus' teaching. But this language of, of being fruitful and multiplying is, is not a unique language. In fact, we see this in, in verse 22. God blessed them, the animals, and saying... Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters of the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. So this idea of, of fruitfulness, of multiplication is, is not new, and yet there's something unique here. I want us to notice the difference. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply Fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth, and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, 
Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps in the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. In verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. There's a difference, there's a distinction between the first section where we see this idea of fruitfulness and multiplication and the second one. The first distinction we see is, at first God said, be fruitful and multiply. He was saying this to them. See the language in verse 22. He blessed them saying this. Notice the difference in verse 28. Bless them saying two words. To them. This wasn't merely God speaking over what's supposed to happen. This is God communicating something specific with his image bearers. To them. One of the aspects that we talked about of of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we're able to have a relationship with God. And here already we see that God is communicating to them. This isn't God simply speaking over. This is God communicating with his beloved creation. Talking to them. They have the capacity for relationship. A capacity for understanding and communicating with their creator. And God gives this this to them. What what an amazing thing. Don't lose the idea that we are image bearers. We can communicate with the God of the universe. Second, animals were to reproduce according to their kinds. But we don't see that language in verse 28. Multiply according to their kinds, according to their kinds, according to their kinds, according to their kinds. It's, it's, it's hitting our head over and over again. It's this repeated language. And then we see when it comes to humans, we don't see that kind of language. Why? There's a couple aspects to that. One is pointing out the uniqueness of, of people, right? We are made in the image of God. There's a uniqueness. Also, there is one humankind. There are not a hierarchy of people. There's not a distinction in humanity of some people are greater and some people are lesser, or even the idea that we could try to do that, according to the biblical teaching. And yet, we do try to do that. We do try to classify and organize people according to our own whims. This is where we see all kinds of prejudice, uh, racism, classism, whatever prejudicialism it is. But Genesis here is undercutting all of that. Saying, no, he created them. There's not separate kinds. There's not differences. You can't debate what's of a higher being, a dog or cat, among people. Right? Dogs are better. I have to say that when I preach because Nate's always talking about cats. So, uh, uh, so I have to, uh, 
That's, this is my opportunity for the, for the dog people in the congregation so we don't just have a cat congregation. So, um, so uh, <laughs> anyways, um, but there's no distinction. Like, we can't debate that because there's not different kinds. There's one kind. That's important. Don't lose how important that is. We're, we're unique in the creation account. Next, children are a blessing. All of this is under this idea of a, a divine blessing from God. Uh, one, one commentator helpfully points out the distinction this would have been to the original audience of Genesis. In a land where people are, had to pay homage to a variety of deities in order to obtain a blessing to have kids, here we see God simply giving his blessing. To borrow the words of this commentator, he says, God gives fertility and fruitfulness to human beings. Procreation means creation on behalf of another. In this case, him who is love, God himself. So human creativity, especially human procreativity, is part of the outworking in our histories of the creative love of God in us as his image. All of life is thus seen as God's gift. We should note that It is the very beauty of having children that makes infertility difficult. Because children are a blessing, because they're a gift, infertility is hard. Or perhaps for some it's longing to have kids but remaining single in this stage of life. If this is you, God sees you. God loves you. God is with you in the midst of whatever you're going through. You're not alone. The church family, let's be sensitive to this as well. Why don't you have kids yet is not a great conversation starter when you first meet a young couple. Why aren't you married yet is not the best conversation to have with that single in your Sunday school class, perhaps. Children are a blessing, and because of that, there can be much heartbreak in this fallen world for those that long to have children and are unable to have that. We want to be a church that rightfully acknowledges the goodness of children. We also want to be sensitive to those that long for that, but in God's providence have not experienced it. We also need to understand the culture that we live. Expressive individualism undermines the goodness of children. Uh, Sometimes Christians, even as Christians, we don't acknowledge the goodness of children. We see children not as blessings but curses. They hold us back from our individual potential. If only we didn't have kids, then we could do what we really want to do. Then we could truly enjoy life. Here we see, in Genesis 1, we see that part of, of, of living, part of uh, humanity is giving ourselves out, is, is filling the earth, is, is caring for others in this way. And unfortunately, this can be reversed. We can use our kids as background performers to show others how great of a parent we are on social media. 
instead of simply being a great parent. It's not be fruitful and multiply the likes on your social media post. This doesn't mean that you can't post pictures. It doesn't mean everybody posting pictures of their kids is looking for attention. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, Don't go from here and kind of judge people posting their pictures. But what I'm saying, it it can be really tempting to to have our kids in this place of kind of in the background to prop ourselves up instead of us serving and caring and loving them as the gift that they are. As those that belong ultimately to another, to God himself, who is the author of all life. Do you fall into the trap of of reversing the order? Another thing that we have to understand is we don't get our value from our children. You and your children are valuable. Uh, While the psalmist is clear that having kids is a blessing, not having kids doesn't make one less valuable. Equally, while we should avoid the danger of seeing kids as a curse, we should also be careful of passing judgment or making family size a marker of spirituality. We understand that we are a created good and our children are a created good, that they're image bearers of God and that's where they get their ultimate value. Even though we live in after sin entered the world, we, it doesn't take away from the goodness of creation. Be fruitful and multiply. This is a gift of God. God could have, if he wanted, simply populated the entire world. Why didn't he? Because he chose to do it through us. Allowed us to be a part of that process. To be part of that nurturing process. Uh, What a wonderful uh, calling that is. But even though some might not be uh, called to that, all of us are called to this second part of, of what it means to be um, in the image of God. This idea of subduing and ruling over creation. So first, creating reflects our creator. Creating reflects our creator. <clears throat> this is verse 28, have dominion. It says, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea. Exercise authority. Subdue the earth. Take advantage of what's there. Development and progress in this world is good. We are called to develop and create from the world that God has made. Just as God didn't make a fully populated earth, he also didn't create a world fully furnished and developed. As L. Walter says, the Bible begins with a garden and ends with a city. Perhaps that might sound weird to you, right? Like, hey, we're country people. We like the outdoors. Uh, So we have to be careful not to push the language too far, but the point is he's making is, is based on a biblical theme that's easy to see. The development and use of technology in harnessing this creation is a good thing. God himself gives instruction for the development of technology. Think of the examples of the ark and the tabernacle. J.D. Greer is helpful here. He says, uh, God did not create Adam and Eve as park rangers, but gardeners. 
A park ranger merely looks to preserve things how they are. A gardener looks to use and develop. And this goes beyond merely gardening. Right? It's the principle there of taking advantage of the materials that God has, has made. Uh, uh, the, the technology and things that we develop in, in this world um, are there because the raw materials that God has put in, the, in this earth, in the world that we live. Right? In other words, God is not in heaven biting his fingernails um, saying, no, Steve, no, don't create the iPhone. No, even technology can be a, a gift of God, and we're using raw materials to reorder them and restructure them in a way that benefits society. I could say that there's a lot of good that's come from those that are able to text a Bible verse to their kids in the morning. Call somebody who's struggling and be able to to chat with them and work through that with them. Okay. So cultivating relationship uh, through technology, through harnessing the world that God has made. So development and progress is good. And we were made to create. Right? The, the idea of working the land and subduing and exercising dominion is good and honorable. This is often worked out today as we work. Various vocations are a way that we we live out our calling to subdue the earth. I like this from, uh, from my professor, Mike Whitmer. He says this, God did not create a static world. He didn't want his pristine creation to remain the same, but commanded Adam and Eve to make it better. I'm always a bit surprised that God didn't take the safe route, content to merely warn Adam and Eve not to mess things up. He could have said something like this, Children, here's a wonderful world for you to enjoy. Have all the fun you want. Just don't break anything. But he didn't. God created a stunning garden of Eden in the midst of a beautiful earth, placed Adam and Eve there, and then told them to change things. But how could they improve an already glorious world? By developing it in a distinctly human fashion. Plant flowers over there. Learn what grows best, where, and what what they enjoy, most enjoy eating. God wanted Adam and Eve to participate in his ongoing work of creation, to take the raw materials of a perfect world and arrange them to produce the highest possible benefit. This task continues today. We call it the development of culture. Culture advances as people learn to cultivate the resources of God's creation, learning how to grow more wheat with less energy, pounding the earth's metals into automobiles and musical instruments, and mastering the lengthy process of turning the extra wool on a lamb into a hand-knit sweater. The beauty of people working is the beauty of them living out the call to exercise dominion in this world, to harness the earth for flourishing. Many of you are going to do that tomorrow. You're going to harness and, and rearrange and take advantage of the materials of this world for the benefit of others in your calling. Treasure that. That's one thing that we're created to do. To develop. But perhaps our, our, our minds might say, well, can this development of taking things, can, can this go wrong? Can this get sidetracked? 
That's why, thirdly, creation care reflects the king who cares. There have been some who blamed Christian understanding of subduing the earth for catastrophes, pollution, and other environmental issues. There is a famous article published in uh, 1967 by Lynn White, a medieval historian, um, and and it kind of shaped the imaginations of many people that came uh, after him. This is profoundly influential about how people thought about Christians and their relationship with the rest of creation. I want to read a portion of it. The present increasing disruption of the global environment is the product of a dynamic technology and, and science that were originated in the Western medieval world. Their growth cannot be understood historically apart from the distinctive attitudes towards nature which are deeply gr- grounded in Christian dogma. The fact that most people do not, do not think of these attitudes as Christians is irrelevant. No new set of basic values has been accepted in our society to displace those of Christianity. Hence, we shall continue to have a worsening ecological crisis until we reject the Christian axiom that nature has no reason for existence but to serve man. Both our present science and our present technology are so tinctured with orthodox Christian arrogance towards nature that no solution for our ecological crisis can be expected from them alone. Since the roots of our trouble are largely religious, the remedy must also be essentially religious. The goal, he writes, is to rethink religion. And we've seen the outworking of this in many circles today. In fact, we could say that there's almost an environmental religion um, that that some follow. And many have even looked to Eastern religions uh, as a way to kind of solve this. Uh, Many Eastern religions are pantheistic. Um, So in this system, creation is elevated to the status of God, and everything is joined together and part of kind of the deity. To attack any aspect is to attack the whole, to attack the divine. So if you remember from a uh, few weeks ago, this is very different from the Christian worldview. So this, think about this, uh, pantheistic worldview, uh, everything's the same, Um, I am... Let me, let me make sure I qualify this for, for video or don't take this clip out of context. Um, in a pantheistic worldview, I am God, you are God, we are all God together, and so are the trees and everything else. We're all connected as part of one cosmic thing. Right. Think of it like Avatar um, or Pocahontas or something like that. Right. Uh, we're all kind of connected in the, these different ways. Uh, in the Christian worldview, there's a distinction between creator and creation. The creator exists above and outside of all of creation. There's a distinguishing line. Creator, creation. There's no blending. He is above, he is outside, he is bigger than. He is not part of. And yet, in his love, he is also cares for. So there can be twin dangers when it comes to our relationship with the rest of creation. Uh, on the one side, it's worshiping creation itself or turning everything into God in a, in a sense to kind of preserve or, or care for. In fact, this, is, this has always been an issue. We see this in Romans 1. They exchanged the glory of God and instead worshiped created things. 
So that's one danger. And the second danger is also one that we need to recognize. This could be seen as maybe the conservative danger. It's the danger of recognizing the special place that people have in the plan of God and even some of our responsibilities, but failing to acknowledge or understand our role. So it's understanding kind of our place that we are special image bearers of God. And Pastor Nate touched on this uh, a little bit ago, right? He said, uh, it's better to preserve the life of a human than it is to an animal, right? People are infinitely more valuable because we're made in the image of God. Right? And yet we are also uh, a part of creation, right? So there's this, there's this uh, distinction. We are, we are more valuable, more distinct, and yet we are still not creator. We don't have that kind of authority. In fact, to understand our role and what it means to live this out, we need to understand who God is. And so first, to put this up there, uh, the Christian worldview helps us understand how to relate to uh, to creation because because it is not pantheistic, it is not blending, but God is above and outside. And also God cares for all of his creation. So while God is above all things and distinct from his creation, he is involved in and cares for his creation. One commentator put it this way, I think this is really helpful. The simple fact that the first page of the Bible speaks of heaven and earth, the sun, the moon, and stars, about plants and trees, about birds, fish, and animals, is a certain sign that the God whom we acknowledge in the creed as the Father of Jesus Christ is concerned with all of these creatures, not merely with humans. A God who is understood only as the God of humankind is no longer the God of the Bible. And we see this in the last couple of verses in this, in, uh, in this section that we're looking at this morning. Look at verse 29 and 30. And God said, Behold, I have given you every, every plant yielding seed in the face of the earth, every tree with its seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given them every green plant for food. So God's saying, I'm giving you food, and, and, and I'm providing for you, and just enjoy it. And also for the animals, I'm going to provide for them as well. I care for them as well. I'm going to make sure that they have what they need. And so God cares for all of creation. He wants their, it's good, it's flourishing. In his generous care. I think about this at the end of uh, the book of Job as well. When, when Job's reaching out and he's kind of still grumpy at the end a little bit, right? Um, and, and guys, like, do you realize how many, like, kind of people are there? And also there's a lot of cattle, right? I just love this. It's kind of like a little throwaway line. But, like, well, it's like God's like, hey, I care about them. And I also care about the cows there too, right? Um, and and just, a, just, a, just an amazing a uh, little uh, tidbit there at the end of Job. But God does care for all of his creation. And one thing that means is image-bearing means creation care. So not only is God concerned with creation, but we should be as well. Humans are given the unique task of ruling, having dominion over creation. 
And this word rule is used elsewhere in the Bible to talk about caring well for, for servants. We see this in, in Solomon's rule. It carries with it the idea of not subjugating the rest of creation or domineering over it, but attending to it and caring for it well. It means that our rule is not as ultimate owner, but as steward for another. We are his vice regents ruling for him, showcasing his generous rule and generous and good rule to others. Creation ultimately belongs to God. It is his. He gives it for our good, but we are responsible to him for how we care for it and how we cultivate it. If he takes care to make sure that all of creation is fed and taken care of, then we should follow his model. So what does this mean for real life? How does it work when it seems like there's competing responsibilities of stewardship and development? And how can it function in a fallen world? Each of these are important questions. Ones that we could only scratch the surface. We'd be here for, for a long time trying to unpack this. There are also ones that good Christians might come to different conclusions. But I like how John Frame summarizes the main lesson that we need to take hold of. Human dominion over the earth does not mean paving it all over or replacing all the forests with factories. The human race itself has an interest in preserving species, forests, wetlands, and the beauty of God's world. But neither does Scripture justify the generalized suspicion of technology that is common in the secular environmental movement. So the cultural mandate calls us to plan for a balanced use of the, the earth's resources, for the well-being of mankind and for the glory of God. Right? So we're called to balance out these two things, to develop for the good, for the flourishing, and also to steward, to take care of, to not exploit. Because God designed creation for our good. And I want us merely to think about this tension. I want us to think about and meditate on the design. God designed this world for our good. Look at, look at verse 31. God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. The world and the things in it, even after the fall, are beautiful and delightful. We can enjoy the goodness of God's creation. From the sunset in the morning to things that people create with the raw materials that God has given us. Too often we neglect the goodness of this world or attempt to deny it in an attempt to appear spiritual. Again, to quote uh, Mike Whitmer, my professor, I, I love this. It's one of my favorites. So if you heard this again, too bad. Heard this before, too bad. You're going to hear it again. Uh, this, this is, this is uh, really, really important. He says this. There are two ways to ruin our relationship to, with the giver of all things. The first is to ignore him and focus entirely upon his gifts. This temptation to idolatry is ever-present, and we must remain vigilant against it. The second way to ignore the is to ignore the gift and focus entirely on the giver. What would we make of an insufferably pious child who opened <clears throat> every Christmas present only to toss it aside and say, thanks, Mom and Dad, but all I really want is you? 
Wouldn't the parents throw up their hands and say, I'm glad you love us best, but you know what? You're impossible to shop for. If the first temptation ignores the God who gives, the second refuses to let him be the God who does give. Do we get that? Like we can rest in freedom and actually enjoy the goodness of God's creation. And the goodness of created things that people have made as his image bearers, reflecting him as they create. Be careful of being more spiritual than the Bible. Because actually, if we're saying, hey, I don't care about all of these things on earth, I just care about me, me, me and just, you know what that actually is? That's a heresy. There is Gnosticism. First John hints at this. There was people that said Jesus couldn't really be flesh. He couldn't really have walked this earth. He couldn't have really done those things because really spiritual, awesome people, like they, they have nothing to do with earthly things. The book of 1 John says if you deny that he came in flesh, then, then you've denied everything. Then you're not a believer. And, and we could fall into this trap too. We could fall into this trap of of valuing the spiritual things which we should and ignoring the goodness of this world that God has created for us to enjoy. I'm getting fired up now. <clears throat> students are like, we covered a little bit of the passage this morning and students are like, don't, don't wear yourself out here. Um, and uh, getting fired up uh, there as well. But think about this. What, what is the thought of Adam and Eve being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth? What is the additional beauty of having them cultivate the earth? Think about this. By doing so, the boundaries of the garden are expanded. So God plants the garden, places them, we're going to get to that, places them there, and they're called to cultivate, to fill the earth, to, to expand the boundaries of walking with God, of enjoying God, of reflecting God in their relationships, in what they do, in their work, in everything. Like, span the globe in this brilliance of enjoying it, and not only just enjoying it and just living out their calling of filling the earth with image bearers and being image bearers in what they're doing, but also in their relationship with the God who walks in their midst. You say, Pastor Nick, that's, that's great. But this world is not Genesis 1. There's brokenness. There's hurt. There's pain. Sin has entered into this world. Creation itself seems to be rebelling. Well, here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. God made it. He declared it was good. And listen to this. Love this from L. Walters. God doesn't make junk, and he doesn't junk what he has made. One day, the whole earth will be made new. It will be redeemed and renewed and filled with those who not only image God, but have been redeemed by the work of Christ. 
They will enjoy the presence of God as they live as they were created to be. Is this you? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you bowed your knee to the King of Kings, the King who cares? Do you have hope that you will one day experience the garden that stretches around the globe? If not, what are you waiting for? The King of Kings calls you to come and to see that He is good. He invites you to enter into His making all things new. He is the one who made all things very good. This is true of creation, and this is true of His recreation. Humble yourself. Turn from your sin. Believe in the one who sits on the throne as we see in Revelation and says, Behold, I am making all things new. What an amazing day to look forward to. We get to participate in that. If you know you're saying, I, I, I know I'm, I'm not part of that, grab me, grab Pastor Nate, grab somebody that brought you here this morning. We, we'd love to talk to you about how you can know that you can be a part of this work that God's doing to make all things new. If this is you, rest in the hope and the beauty of what we have to look forward to, even as we live this out imperfectly this week in our various vocations. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you uh, for, for who you are. You are a God who does not make junk and you do not junk what you made. And Father, you are at work making all things new, and that's starting with us. Renew us this morning. Give us what we need this week to live faithfully for you. For those that go this week and they're living out their various callings and creating things and developing things, help them to do so with, with confidence, knowing that they're reflecting you as they do so. For those that are struggling this week, maybe with a toddler or a newborn at home, help them perhaps for a moment of peace, reflect on just the goodness and blessing it is that we get to be a part of your filling the earth with image bearers. For those that might be struggling, longing for that, and it has never happened, comfort them, give them what they need this morning. In all these things, we pray that uh, you are glorified and that uh, your people benefit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.